child used to be a ministry that we did exclusively within our children's ministry department here at Friendship. And really over the last couple of years, we've said, no, we want, we want to all be a part of this. And so we'd love to encourage all of you. Uh, there are boxes right outside the doors here that you can grab. If you don't have boxes, if you want to bring totes, that's great too. Uh, but you can grab those. And if you'd bring them back by November 19th, that's when the distribution center is coming to get all of those boxes. Uh, we'd love for all of our congregation to be a part of this. Right? Are you down with OCC? Really? Just yeah? Are you? Yeah, you know me. No one has wasted their life on 90s hip-hop like the way I have. Okay, that's, that's okay. That's probably for the best. You guys are well down the road to sanctification. I love it. Which will bring us to our sermon series, right? What, what's our sermon series called? Holy Spirit, God in us. Yep. Oh, it gets easier when they put it up on the screen, doesn't it? Holy Spirit, God in us. And can you guess the subject matter of the sermon series? Right? We are talking about the Holy Spirit. That's right. Last week, Pastor Kenny went through the Word of God, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, to lay out some of the most basic things that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. So what did the Holy Spirit inspire about himself? And a couple of the things that he showed us is, one, the Holy Spirit is God. He's not junior God trying to make the varsity. He is God. Second, Pastor Kenny showed us that he is one person in the Trinity, one of three persons in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Three persons, one God. Pastor Kenny also showed us that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an entity, an element, or a force, We don't try to use him, tap into him, or feel him. He is a person who is God, and our primary interactions with him are to worship him and obey him. He is the person of God. Now, next week, Pastor Kenny is going to unpack for us how the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us in our life. But in between there, that's this week, by the way, I'm going to talk a little bit about what the Holy Spirit does in our salvation. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation? And as I do, if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, I'd just love for you to to prayerfully consider the things that I'm going to put up on the screen and whether God is calling you to that. And if you are a follower of Jesus, here's what I want you to do today. I want you to celebrate and rejoice and praise and give thanks. We're going to unpack what the Holy Spirit did in your life in in order to bring salvation to you. Uh, There's no better news than that. Uh, I I had a great weekend this last weekend celebrating my wife's birthday in Door County in Wisconsin. And my wife and I both talked about what an amazing blessing these last couple of days have been. You guys, (laughs) the, the blessing of our salvation is infinitely greater than that. And we get to celebrate that this morning as we talk about the Holy Spirit. But before we get there, let me pray for us. Would you guys join me in prayer? Father, uh, we recognize today that we get to enter in to the Holy Spirit's Word of God, the Word that He's inspired. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd be working in order to illuminate us as your children, our minds and our hearts, pressing your Word upon us today. What a privilege it is to get to be in the Word of God. We're so thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have good news. 
the sermon is finished, right? The sermon is complete. Uh, Several weeks ago, I started to pray and study and outline this message. And then Monday of this week, I sat down with the things that I put together and prayerfully began to work through them, and I wrote the whole message out. And then on Wednesday, I tweaked it. And then on Saturday, I tweaked it again so that as I stand before you today, the sermon is finished, right? The sermon is completed, which is great. But what if I didn't deliver the sermon today? I mean, I've written a sermon for you. What if I came here today and just didn't deliver it? What good would the sermon be to you if I finished it and completed it, but then never delivered it to you? It'd be clearly of no use to you whatsoever. And that same thing is true of our salvation. Jesus has completed and finished everything that is necessary for us to be saved. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he has done everything that is needed for us to be saved, and there is nothing that we can add to what he has done. But, as we're going to see, the Bible teaches us that it is the Holy Spirit that takes Jesus' work and applies it to our life. What good is the work of Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection if it doesn't get applied to our lives? It's of no use to us whatsoever. And the Bible teaches it's actually the Holy Spirit that takes the work of Jesus and applies it to our life so that we can be saved. And again, as as we walk through what the Holy Spirit has done in our life in order to bring salvation, what do I want us to do today? I want us to celebrate and rejoice and praise and give thanks because everything that we are going to look at today is good news. So so what has the Holy Spirit done in our lives in order to bring salvation? What's, What's he done in your life? Well, let's start with this key fact. The Holy Spirit convicted you of sin and judgment. If you're a follower of Jesus, at some point in your life, the Holy Spirit convicted you in relationship to sin and judgment. Let's say that you went on an eight hour flight. How many of you have ever been on an eight hour flight? Right? Many people in the room have been on an eight-hour flight. Let's say that someone came to you one hour into that eight-hour flight and said, here's a parachute, you want to put it on. Right? Would you want to put it on? Would you want to put on that parachute and ride the remaining seven hours with a giant pack on your back pressing your face into the seat in front of you? Right? A seat that has probably been put back. <clears throat> How could they do that to you? Do you want to ride with this giant pack on your back for the next seven hours in all of that discomfort? Would your motivation and attitude about the parachute change if you heard a loud explosion on the plane, looked outside and saw that all of the engines on the plane were on fire and smoke was billowing out? The plane had taken a sharp downward trajectory and the person handing you the parachute said, we're going down. Would that change your motivation and attitude about taking the parachute? (laughs) Of course it would. Of course it would. Because recognizing the problem, we're going down, significantly impacts your desire to take on the solution of the parachute. 
And that is always true when it comes to our salvation. We have to recognize the problem that exists, that we're sinful and rebellious, and that that sin deserves God's judgment. We have to recognize that if we're going to reach a place where we are ready to accept the offer of Jesus Christ to save us from all of that. If we don't recognize that, then what would we turn to him for? What is the salvation that we're seeking if we don't recognize the sin and the judgment that is ours? So, so salvation starts with the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sin. That's what Pastor Kenny described last week when he was two weeks short of turning 18 in that church. Right? Do you remember what he was talking about? When sin came to press upon his life. Right? The Holy Spirit pressed his sins upon his life and his guilt upon his life. And he recognized that there is judgment that properly falls upon me because of the way that I have lived. And when the Holy Spirit convicted him of sin, that is when he walked forward and sought a Savior. Same thing happened at my life at a different stage. Right? In my young years, I recognized God must be calling me to treat my sister differently than I do day in and day out. And I, I was mean to her. She was my little sister. And, and somehow I knew God was calling me to, to love her and care for her and protect her. And there were so many days when instead my behavior towards her was selfish, mean-spirited. And I so often tried, you guys, to correct it in my own righteousness, right? I would be like, no, no, tomorrow is going to be a new day. I am going to be totally loving towards my sister, right? And how often did that work out when I really put my, my seven, eight-year-old effort into it? Right? Not, not very well, but it helped me to recognize I need a Savior, right? The Holy Spirit used that to convict me to say, you need a Savior. And Jesus says, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us. He says, and when he comes, Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit here in John 16, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus says it's the Holy Spirit that convicts. The Greek word here is alencho. It means to bring something wrong out into the light of day or, or to proclaim uh, legal judgment on something that is wrong. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He brings our wrong right before our eyes and convicts us and says, yes, we, we deserve judgment because of this. That's what he does for those that he saves. He brings that conviction about, about, about our sin, the wrongdoing that we do before the Lord, about our righteousness. Oh, I've tried so hard to be nice to my sister, but all of my righteousness is like filthy rags, the Bible says, in comparison to the righteousness of Christ. All of my righteousness is of dung compared to what the righteousness of God is like. And so I deserve judgment. The same judgment that the ruler of this world, right, that Satan gets because he has rebelled against God, because he has lived in his own selfishness, is the judgment that everyone who follows after him into that rebellion and selfishness deserve. And so it is the Holy Spirit that convicts us in those ways. This, this leads me to, uh, to think of a couple of things. First of all, then we need to continue to teach 
about sin and judgment. If the Holy Spirit convicts people about sin and judgment as the start of the process of us being saved, then to give in to the world which says there really isn't any sin, there really isn't any wrongdoing, you're just living your truth and I'm living my truth, it's all good, is the worst thing we can do for the gospel to ever take root in someone's life. The gospel only takes root, right, if the Spirit convicts of sin and judgment and the need for Jesus' salvation. And so we have to be a people who faithfully, even though it is unpopular, continue to teach about sin and about judgment. The second thing I'd like to point out as we read this is, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts a person about sin and judgment. My job, the job God has given to me, is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, to teach about what God teaches, and to teach about the good news of the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit's job in order to bring guilt and conviction into a person's life. And I've never seen anything good happen when a person takes the Holy Spirit's job on themselves and tries to emotionally manipulate friends or family into feeling that conviction. Right? Whether it is emotional manipulation through trying to get all excited and worked up or emotional manipulation uh, through trying to really bear down and make a person feel guilty and terrible, whatever that looks like, our job is simply to present the truth in love, gentleness and kindness, but the truth. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring about conviction. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring about the holy guilt that is necessary in order for a person to turn and be saved. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, then you can, you can think of when it is that the Holy Spirit produced uh, this conviction in your life. And aren't you thankful for it? Right? That conviction that said, ah, I am sinful and I am in need of a Savior. Right? Would you just take a moment and praise God for that conviction? Give Him thanks for that conviction that He brought into your life. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and judgment, a necessary starting point if we are going to be saved. But He doesn't stop there because then the Holy Spirit gave you spiritual life. Well, that seems like good news, right? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says what? that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. What can a dead person do in order to alleviate their circumstances? Right? Dead people can't do anything. Someone needs to revive us if there is any hope. And the Bible teaches us that it is the Holy Spirit applying the work of Jesus Christ to our life that revives us. Or, or the biblical word is regenerates us, brings life to what was dead. Jesus talks about this, this great hope of spiritual life in a famous conversation in John chapter 3. He's meeting with a man named Nicodemus. Right? What do you know about Nicodemus? He was a Pharisee, right? but he wasn't just any Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling 70 over Israel. And so Nicodemus is prominent He's important within this context. We also know that unlike many of the other Pharisees who come and talk to Jesus, Nicodemus seems to be open to what Jesus has to say. He calls Jesus rabbi. 
And he says to Jesus, I know that you have come from God because of the works that you do. And so there's an openness in Nicodemus. Now, how does Jesus respond to Nicodemus? Look at John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How, how does this be, verse begin? Jesus answered him. I'd invite you to look back at John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And what you are going to find there is that Nicodemus never asked a question. What is Jesus answering if Nicodemus never asked a question? I think Jesus is answering the big question, the big question that Nicodemus needs to know the answer to, that you need to know the answer to, that I need to know the answer to. And that big question is, how can I enter the kingdom of God? Jesus says it can only happen if a person is born again. Now, you may have grown up in an environment in, when, in which that phrase, born again, was used on multiple occasions. But Nicodemus didn't. And so he is weirded out by Jesus' answer. Right? Nicodemus is clearly going to take this literally, and he is going to be weirded out. And so we see in chapter 3, verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus says, what are you talking about? This doesn't make any sense. Can a grown man crawl back into his mother's womb? Right? That's an ouch and an ick all at once. No, that's not what he means. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus helps to clear it up in the next verse when he says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says, you must be born again. The first birth is of water, which represents physical birth. But it isn't enough to simply be born physically. Nicodemus, you've been born physically, but that doesn't make you a part of the kingdom of God. Even though your lineage may be of Abraham, you're not necessarily of the kingdom of God unless you are also born spiritually. You need this spiritual life. And where does that come from? That is the life of the Spirit given by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who regenerates us and brings us from the place of death to the place of life. Is there better news than that? That's pretty good, right? Just take a minute again. And would you give God thanks and praise right, for His new life that He has given to you? Right? What a blessing that is. But that's not the end of the blessings. You ready to go on to the next blessing? The Holy Spirit hasn't just given you life. He's also cleansed you. How can someone whose life has been filled with uh, a certain number of years of sin and dirtiness and mess dwell with a holy God, perfectly holy, perfectly clean, as a part of the family of God? How is that possible, you guys? only possible because when the Holy Spirit gives us new life, he cleanses us in the process before God. Look at what Titus chapter 3, verses and four, five, chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 says. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, the what? The goodness and loving kindness of God, you guys. Uh, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. No, that would never be sufficient. My righteousness is lousy, you guys. But according to his own mercy, 
by the what? Washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't just give us new life. He washes us. He cleanses us. So that even though my life has been filled with sin, has been filled with mess, has been dirty, not because of any righteousness of my own, isn't that what that verse said? But because of the mercy of God, the Holy Spirit has taken the righteousness of Jesus Christ and has applied it to my life so that I'm now clean. I am now washed before God and can be in relationship with Him. Why? Because I lived this last week without sin? Nope. But because of the work of the Holy Spirit applying the cleansing power of the blood of Christ in our lives. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, It is because of the blood of Jesus Christ that we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. And the Holy Spirit applies that to us. And friends, I guess more good news, the Holy Spirit can cleanse us no matter what kind of sin is in our mind right now from our past. No matter what that sin looks like, no matter what we're thinking about from weeks, months, years past, the Holy Spirit cleanses us completely and totally so that we read in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? Those who remain unclean will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. <sighs> Hold on. All right. <sighs> will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. What does Paul say to the Corinthians here? He's like, you guys have committed all the sins. Right? Not, not just the jaywalking sins. No, you've committed all the sins, the worst of the sins, everything we think of with the sins. You guys have done all of that. And such were some of you. And maybe that's true in your life. There may be sins that you're thinking of right now where you're like, well, sure, the Lord can cleanse the jaywalking type sins, but you don't know what I've done. He might be able to cleanse you, Matt. You've got a sport coat on. Your life must be good. But you don't know what my life looks like. Hmm. Right? Look at this. And such were some of you. And then comes this all-important word, you guys. It's so vital, right? What is it? But. Right? You were dead in your trespasses, Ephesians 2 says, but you were made alive in Christ. Right? You, you were like this, but you were what? You were washed. Yeah, you were. You are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. You are washed. Whatever you have done, whatever you're thinking of from weeks ago, months ago, years ago, if you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, it has been washed by the Holy Spirit. And so you are cleansed before God. Now, I know you see that there's more than that up here, right? As you read this, you're not just washed, you're also sanctified. I don't have time to get into all of this, but it's so good. Uh, I'm covering just a tip of the iceberg of what the Holy Spirit does today. Right? You're also sanctified, it says. So not only are you washed clean, sanctified means you're declared holy before God. Not only that, it says you are justified. What does that mean? That means you're declared righteous, legally righteous before God. And so as we look at all of these terms, we see that the Holy Spirit, right, by the Spirit of God, is applying the work of Jesus Christ in order to make us clean, 
holy and declared righteous before the living God. Why? Because I've been a pretty good person? Absolutely not. But because Jesus was perfectly clean, perfectly holy, and perfectly righteous. And the Holy Spirit has applied His substitute sacrifice on my behalf. Again, does it get better than this? Uh, again, I, I just ask you to take a moment. Praise God. Give Him thanks for the fact that He has cleansed you before God. What good news there is in that. But we're not done with the good news because not only has He cleansed you past tense, but the Bible teaches us that He is cleansing you present tense in your daily life. That is, you are growing because of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that is growing you day in and day out. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then the Spirit of God has come to dwell in you and is accomplishing things that the law never could. The law never enabled people to live out the righteous requirements of the law. But through the power of the Spirit of God, we are growing in that ability. But what are the righteous requirements of the law? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus summarizes those righteous requirements as what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor well. He says, all of the law and the prophets is about this. Every command we see in Scripture is about how we can love God and love people well. It all comes down to this, Jesus says. I think God understands that we as broken and messy people, if all he gave us was love God and love other people, we might twist it and make love into whatever we want it to be. And so God regularly gives us commands about specific areas of life to help us understand what it means to love God and love others in those areas. So if I ask, what does it mean to love God and love others when it comes to being a married man, Exodus chapter 20 teaches me it's about being faithful to my wife. 1 Peter 3.7 teaches me that it's about honoring and loving my wife. If I want to know what it looks like to love God and love others with my words, Psalm 150 teaches me that it is about constant praise of God with my mouth, that it is about encouraging others and not tearing them down, Ephesians chapter 4. The commands that God gives to us throughout the Scriptures are all simply meant to help us understand the righteous requirements of the law, love God and love people. The law itself didn't give people the power needed in order to grow in carrying those things out. That only happens when the Spirit of the living God comes to dwell within us. And then He gives us new affections and new desires, and we begin to grow in these areas. Ah, and I want to emphasize the word grow. What is He growing in our life? He's growing Christ-likeness. He's growing us away from sin and towards Christ's character. Or, or we might say he's growing his fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, love, gentleness, love, 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 Whatever it is. Right? He, he's growing those fruit in our life. 
We're going to have, I, I hurried through that because in three weeks, we're going to have a whole sermon dedicated just to the fruit of the Spirit that God's Holy Spirit provides in us. But for now, I want to say the whole idea of fruit implies growth. When a tree is planted, it does not produce all of the mature fruit that it is going to produce in year one. It produces weak and unedible fruit in year one. And it continues to grow. And the kind of fruit that it produces continues to grow. And it helps us to understand, yeah, this is a growth process. Not instant perfection from day one, but God's Holy Spirit growing us as we abide with Christ into greater and greater Christ-likeness. Oh, what good news there is in that. If you see growth, look back at your life over the last three years, five years, ten years. Right? If you see growth in your walk with Christ, would you just give the Holy Spirit thanks right now for what He has been producing in you? Just give Him praise and thanks for what He's doing. What good news there is in that, that He is growing you. Well, we're just getting warmed up on the good news because He's also sealed you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has sealed you. This one might take some explanation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed in Jesus, responded to the gospel, you received the seal of the Holy Spirit upon your life. The Greek word for seal here is the word for the signet, for the, for the seal of a household. It's what was used in order to declare that belongs to this person or belongs to this household. So in these days, uh, if a woman had a large household, she would put her family seal on the gates by the driveway in order to declare this house and all that is in it belongs to me. If a man... Uh, owned a whole lot of cattle, he would put his seal on them or his signet on them, much like a rancher might do today with a brand, to say, they belong to me and to my household. A person would take the, the signet or the seal and press it into wax on a letter to say, yep, this letter is from me. It belongs to me as it is delivered to this other person. The seal or the signet says, this belongs to me and to my household. And what we are told here is that when we believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit serves as that seal or signet over our lives declaring this one belongs to God. There are a lot of other ways that I have identity in this life. I, I am Erica's husband. I am Maddie and Zay's dad. I am your pastor, and on and on I could go. But all of those pale in comparison. I mean, they, they are pale, pale, pale reflections of the one great identity that I have, that I belong to God and his household. And the Holy Spirit is the seal, the unbreakable seal, that says that is true in our life. Oh, what good news there is in that. But the good news goes on even in these two verses. Because not only is the Holy Spirit your seal, the Holy Spirit is your assurance, friends. Look at where these verses go. Ephesians 1, 13, 14. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee 
of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The final thing that I want to say here is the Holy Spirit is the assurance. He's the guarantee. Some of your translations say down payment instead of guarantee. That is a wonderful translation as well. The Greek word idea here is the financial down payment made to guarantee that you will make all of the other payments that are required. So if I go out today and I decide to buy a house for $100,000, right? Where am I getting a house for $100,000? You guys, I am a deal finder. I am a mover and a shaker. You do, no, no, right? Let's keep the math simple. I find a house for $100,000. I may very well put down a down payment of $20,000 on that house. That $20,000 down payment is the guarantee to the bank that I am going to make the rest of those payments, that I'm not just going to live there and refuse to pay. That down payment is the guarantee that I'm going to come through on the rest of what we have agreed to. Now, in a way that is far more true than in the housing market, God says the Holy Spirit is the down payment. He is the guarantee on the promise that I have made to you as my child of this ultimate inheritance that is yours. He is the guarantee that I am going to complete payment on the promise that I have made to you of an inheritance, 1 Peter 1, 4, that will never what? Perish, spoil, or fade. Right? That we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade that is kept in heaven for you. We have this unbelievable inheritance being kept in heaven. Well, you guys, how do I know I'll make it? How do I know I'll get there? Is it dependent on me and me just working really hard? No, it isn't based on my righteousness. Instead, what do we recognize? It's the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee. He's the down payment that says this will happen because God is the one at work. And the one who began a good work in you, moving you from death to life, bringing about regeneration, will ultimately see that work completed on the day of Christ Jesus so that you will inherit all that God has promised. Is that good news? Right, that, that's the ultimate good news. We celebrate all of this together as believers, every time we come together, all that Jesus has done for us is completed and finished in him and his work, but it is applied to our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put these six things that we just covered up on the screen again, and again, I would invite you, would you just take a moment and praise God, thank him, and rejoice in him and what he has done in your life to bring about his good salvation. Just take a moment, look over those six things and give him praise and thanks. So good. Now, if you would, if you bow your heads with me, we're going to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. What do we celebrate at the Lord's table? We celebrate what Jesus has done on our behalf. We also celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit in applying that to our lives. And so today, as we come before this table, we recognize that the Holy Spirit is the one who has given us new life, clean life, 
the promise of eternal life because of what Jesus has done. The Holy Spirit applies that good work of Jesus to us. As you take the, the bread and the cup today, I'd invite you to keep the Holy Spirit's good work in mind of what He is doing. We're going to sing a song right now in which we ask the Holy Spirit to, to fall on us like rain. One of the things that Pastor Kenny taught us last week that was so good is that the Holy Spirit is not an element. He, he's not a force. He's not a part of the creation out there. And so when we sing this, we, we don't understand the Holy Spirit to actually be an element like rain. We are simply singing this as a word picture before the Lord because as rain drenches the individual who gets caught in it, so we want to be completely drenched with the presence of the Holy Spirit and our complete surrender over to Him. Listen to the words of these songs, uh, words of surrender to the Holy Spirit. And when your heart and mind are ready, I'd invite you to go to the tables and take the bread and the cup and bring them back to your seats. And I'll lead us in the taking of those things in just a few moments. Would you stand with me? Let's worship God. Let's praise the Holy Spirit. And let's prepare our hearts to take the elements together.